cliffcentral.com. Yes, indeed. Uh, that is uh, something also that you've got to check out if you haven't listened to it already. And that's with our own um, Barrett Edelstein. You've got to hear the show and uh, brought to you, of course, by Virgin Active, which is something i got to get back into this week. I've got to get back in the gym and I'm going to start today. I, I was uh, sick for, for a week or two, so I'm going to get back in today. I'm doing it. Damn it. For me, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Are you well enough? I think so. I think so. I'm going to give it a go. What's going to happen? Wait, what's the worst that can happen? I get tired. <laughs> no, you get a heart attack because uh, you put too much strain on your heart. You know what? This heart can do with a bit of strain at the moment, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Pumi Mashiho is here. It is time for the Burning Platform, which, of course, is everybody's uh, favorite opportunity to catch up on current affairs, all the things that are in the news, the stuff that's going on around us, the stuff that influences and affects our life or our lives. And we're joined by uh, two interesting guests who we will have on in just a moment. But before we get to any of that, we've obviously got to talk about some of the big stories in the news. And uh, there are a couple of things on the agenda this morning. Return champion Dumo Denga is here. Hey, Dumo, how are you? Nice to see you. I'm, I'm good, Gareth. Uh, thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure being on awesome. uh, Cliff Central or the Burning Platform. Rather. No, it's great to have you on. Um, we've got lots to catch up on with you. We'll, we'll talk, among other things, about the, the big moves on social media, which I know you will have plenty to say about. Also going to talk a little bit about that, that scope of that um, parliamentary uh, committee where they had ESCOM in front of them, and it, it derailed very quickly. There was a whole lot of, uh, uh, chairperson, I'm going to call for order. Uh, chairperson, we have a problem here. One of our the people we're talking to has just said terrible things. They tried to shut the whole thing down. They tried to shut her down. Um, her name is, is uh, Mavuso, and we obviously saw her. She's the chair of ESCOM. Pussy Mavuso, yeah. And uh, we're going to speak about that in just a moment or two. Um, but have, have you been otherwise? Is there is there a reason to be excited as someone who calls himself a libertarian at the moment? Or are you, are you worried that you're being um, prevailed upon by the forces of politics? What's going on? Uh, it's actually, in my opinion, I think um, as a libertarian, it's very good times. Mm -hmm. uh, governments is showing that they're becoming more and more useless. Uh, in the basic things. I mean, I just, you know, when I drive around, there's <laughs> potholes everywhere. Uh, there's load shedding. Uh -huh. Even though those are things that are not, you, we shouldn't celebrate them, but those are opportunities for communities just to come together and to sort out their own problems and become less reliant on the state. So I think it's good times to be a libertarian in South Africa because now, you know, now we have to put our money where our mouth is. Now we need to, you know, walk the talk. Right. As opposed to uh, talking the talk. Yeah. I like that you see opportunity where other people see a reason to complain and to procrastinate and to moan about the government. Pumi and I were talking about this earlier when we started the show this morning. But, you know, in every, uh, every uh, messy situation, there is a chance for someone to fill the gap. And in potholes, that's literally what they're doing, filling the gap. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Exactly that. So, so let's just let's talk about one or two of these things first. Um, what is your point of view on on uh, Twitter being bought by Elon Musk, and what do you think that might have? Um, do you think it'll have repercussions? Do you think it'll have uh, long consequences for places like South Africa, where where Twitter became and continues to be at this stage a very toxic place, where all you have is just ugliness and division? 
and the extremes on the left and right going at each other, it's become very, very unpleasant there. Do you think that this might signal a change or do you think that it's going to be more of the same? I think, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's hard to decide right now. So, cause I mean, I, I wrote a little blog post about this, uh, the other day. Hmm. I think, um, what will happen, uh, well, what might, what I want to happen is that, um, you know, all the people that were kicked off unfairly off Twitter, yep. um, will come back, you know, so I think, you know, guys like Donald Trump and so forth might, uh, should come back. I know there have been some accounts that have been reinstated, like the Babylon B. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that, um, you know, taking Elon Musk's, uh, tweets into account before the takeover, he yeah. said he would like to authenticate all humans. And you would like to beat the, the spam bots. Yes. Now it's great. I like the spam bot stuff, but then the authentication of humans, I'm very worried about that because what does he want? Is he going to ask us for more information? Is he going to ask us for ID and so forth? Or maybe there's, he might find a way to authenticate, um, human beings without asking them for extra personal information. But I think that's for me as someone who wants to, um, as someone who wants to have a pleasant Twitter experience mm-hmm. with no spam bots, is that going to come at a cost of actually giving us more information? And I think that is the cause of concern for me. So I'm happy that Elon Musk bought it. Great stuff. He's good for, he's, he's a big champion of free speech, but really are there costs involved? And I think there might be a few. So Dumo, you bring this up and Pumi, maybe this is something you can also weigh in on. I've always thought that half of the problem at least is that the anonymous people or the fake accounts or the bots or whatever you want to call them are there to stoke up the the division and to rankle people and to make it complicated and ugly and messy to talk about things. Do you think if we got rid of anonymity and you actually had to prove that you were a real person operating your Twitter account that we'd have some kind of accountability, at very least we'd know whether people were real or not, we'd know whether it was, I mean, so much of South Africa's nonsense during that whole Bell Pottinger situation was caused by people on Twitter. So we have real world experience of the virtual world having an influence on politics. And you know how many really bad and good people claim to have a mandate from Twitter on South Africa's uh, political scene? <laughs> no. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. You know, I love Twitter, right? I'm mm-hmm. all, always on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter for me is like the ultimate people watching experience. Sure. You know how when you're sitting in a restaurant having a coffee and just watching people? Yes. Twitter's like that for me. And both the vile and the horrific and the funny and the entertaining and the educational people, I think all of them. Uh, worth having. And I don't know if it's going to change anything, kind of verifying if there's a, an actual human person on the other side. Because again, one of the reasons why people are able to be so naked and raw on Twitter is because they're just on the other side of a screen, mm-hmm. right? So there, there is no real life consequence. We saw this the other day when one of South Africa's kind of Twitterati influencers doxed another another person and um, yeah who's one of the famous influencers and you saw how people respond to that right and people kind of all want to beat back the box and i think that like society twitter can also be a space where people must uh, must fight it out you know people okay. must <laughs> people must fight it out if you don't like what people are saying 
unfollow those people, block those yep. people, you know, yep. you take yourself out of the equation. Well, it does sound almost like what Elon Musk has promised that he would do is just kind of let the conversation go in whichever direction. In other words, he's not going to manipulate it or weigh it in a certain way. Um, he's not going to let these uh, these ghostly algorithms work in the background to prioritize stuff that maybe you don't want to prioritize. You'll be in charge of the controls and you'll be able to say what you want to say. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. You know, so at the end of the day, he is still a business person. And as we know, when, when the product is free, like mm. Twitter is, you are the product. And so he needs as many people on the platform as possible because that's where they they get their money from. Twitter, unfortunately, hasn't done it as well as Facebook and LinkedIn to a smaller uh <clears throat> to a smaller degree, mm -hmm. but they haven't, they haven't as yet learned how to monetize that platform. And maybe that's what he's hoping for. There is no way that he is paying this amount of money into a business simply because he wants people to be more free to speak to each other. He is looking for a way to monetize it and bring back, get back an ROI. What do you what do you make of that, uh, Dumont? Do you agree? And do you think that that from a free speech point of view, or from you know getting rid of anonymity and and bots and trolls, he, he'll be doing any of that stuff, getting his hands dirty, or is he just going to let it happen? Yeah, I, I, I just to go back to uh, and and, point, by, and by think, the way, yeah, Pumi's point mm -hmm. about the 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 actual ROI, the return on investment. How do how do you think that's going to work? Yeah, I think the, the the whole thing about the return on investment is that if I think if um if uh, Twitter does actually monetize uh, their platform as well as Facebook and YouTube, I think they're going to run into some problems as well because I think one of the benefits of Twitter is that they're not they don't um prioritize content as heavily as Facebook mm -hmm. as Facebook does and YouTube does because their models are based on trying to attract the most engaging, trying to push the most engaging content to as many people as possible so that the advertisers can spend more money on their platform. But Twitter's not that great at doing so, um, which I appreciate. So I think that if uh, Elon Musk's going to try and monetize it, he's going to have to try and still keep it at this level that it is now, but at the same time make more, more money from it. So I'd, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how he actually does that. But if he turns this into another Facebook and YouTube, it's people are just going to complain and say, well, we might as well just go back to the old Twitter when people right. where everyone was getting banned, but at least my content, you know, there wasn't an advert every few strokes, every time I scrolled <laughs> down. So I think, <laughs> All right. I think that, I think, you know, th that's um, one thing that Musk has to deal with. And I think with the, with the trolls and everything like that, I think he should just, I, I just think that, um, as you said earlier, he should allow the conversation just to go where it leads. Cause I think that, a lot of people on the left, um, they like the idea of controlling information. And I just feel that that is not good for a platform like Twitter. Yes, it is a private company. Um, yes, people may see it as a public square for discourse. But at the end of the day, I just think we all like to see things unfold naturally, as opposed to just uh, people telling us what we should be thinking. All right, so from that, I'm going to introduce our other guest for this morning, someone who's written a book, and we'll find out what the book is all about. But it's essentially a message to young people in South Africa, and I'm thrilled that he could join us this morning. He's a 31-year-old qualified 
chartered accountant who works in investment banking. He recently contributed to this book, which is called This Generation Leads, The Latest Leadership Ideas from South Africa, which is put together by Mike Teke and Muzi Kuzwayo, who we've had on the show before. His chapter in the book is called Leading with the Heart and the Mind, and his name is Justin Plakis. Justin, it's nice to have you on the show. How are you? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Gareth. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Um, Thank you. Good morning, Pume. And Nice, nice to see you. Morning, Justin. So, Justin, um, first of all, tell us a little bit about you, um, because I gave a very brief CV, but uh, you seem like a very impressive uh, person to be doing all these things you're doing at 31. Sure. I mean, I think my, my life's a lot more simple than some of the host, uh, people you host on the show. But um, in essence, I find myself in investment banking. I work at um, Rand Merchant Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and the space that I work in, it's it's really a place where we work with ultra high net worth individuals. Right. Um, a lot of the work is investment banking focused. Um, I sometimes think of it as a glorified private banker. So we kind of move and shake with these ultra high net worth individuals. Um, but what I find particularly um, impressive about the space is the ability to work with these people, um, understand how they think about um you know, think about things. Um, we are obviously a sounding board to them, but, um, you know, you, one can form a very close relationship with them. And, um, you know, you get to, to see the world kind of through their eyes. And I think for somebody at my age, um, you know, coming from, from you know, very little, mm-hmm. to have that exposure at this point in time, I think is is a great opportunity. And then I you know, I kind of view it as a um, an opportunity to do something bigger in SA, which is, I mean, the book's kind of part of it, and that's, um, I guess, the starting point. So, so the CV is not that big you mentioned, just yet. You know, but, but you mentioned uh, you mentioned your background and kind of how you got to where you are. I mean, it's it's hugely impressive that you are dealing with these high net worth individuals, and you're in an environment which is massively competitive, which is, you know, investment banking. But what I'm curious about is where you started off. Where, where are you from? Um, where were you? Where did you grow up? What kind of a, you know, yeah. a, a life did you have as a, as a young man? Mm. Look, so I, I grew up in Cape Town. Um, I, you know, I went to school. Uh, I went, I was fortunate enough to go to, um, to Saks. And, um, you know, from there, I kind of went to UCT. Mm-hmm. which I, in, in my view, is still like, it's an absolutely fantastic university, um, mm-hmm. you know, with a great view and all the rest. I look back at it and I think, <laughs> um, gosh, I wish I could get back to that. Um, but yeah, really, before that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a colored individual. Um, my parents, you know, come from very um, simple backgrounds. You know, money was not really something that was available my dad basically sacrificed um, his entire life to to kind of make something of himself and i and i think my mom kind of just played the role of you know mentoring me and giving me the the motherly love and and kind of motivation and courage that i needed um and i think that kind of just formed the pillar um behind my confidence my dad was very much a disciplinarian in in in, in the way he did things um mm. I felt like I was in the army most of the time, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I think I think the principles and the values that I got from that is kind of what's got me to where I am. I mean, education is one thing. Um, you know, piece of paper. Um, you know how valuable that is 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 probably debatable mm-hmm. um, in my view. 
And we can touch on it later, but I mean, I mean, I think the mentorship from my parents, the discipline that they've installed in me is kind of what's got me to where I am. So, so what do you think the major challenges are for people your age and younger in South Africa? And what should we be doing as a society to help those people along? Pumi's often said on this show that she believes education, she said it this morning, is uh, a big gap that we need to fill and that we're not doing the best job we can as a society to help young people from that point of view. But what do you think the major challenges are for, for young South Africans? Look, I mean, I think I agree with the point on education. I mean, it would be remiss of me to kind of say that education doesn't mean anything. Hmm. Um, but I, I, I kind of caveat that with what I said earlier around the point around mentorship. Um, so when I think about it, I think, yes, education's a gap. But I think the biggest thing that's missing is mentorship. And I think it's two things. One is, I guess, mentorship. And the other one is actually just, you know, reading. So I, I see the world very simply. I think, you know, with social media and, you know, the technology that we have available today, it kind of my view is the world's your oyster. I had this discussion with with a very young guy in investment banking the other day, just saying, I mean, why why are you sitting here i mean you you could literally do anything that you want um whatever you're passionate about you've got you know the a world stage on your cell phone i'm calling in on my cell phone i've got a, a mm. stage a platform yeah i can try sure. and do whatever it is i want to do and and that's really the big question for me is that people need to understand that whatever it is they're passionate about um mm. the world is in my view your oyster i haven't capitalized on it just yet but that that's a function of my background to say, um, you know, I, I, I didn't come from money. I needed money. I needed, in my mind, I thought I needed capital, actual mm -hmm. financial capital to do anything. But the reality is there's human capital, there's political capital, there's, there's a lot of other capitals that we don't focus on. And I think, I think we need, when, when you say what's the biggest challenge, for me, the biggest challenge is, is actually just the mindset. And I think, Platforms like this, um, the technology that we have enables us to actually uh, tackle that um, that problem. Mm. Um, when you talk about education, that becomes incredibly complicated to solve. I mean, sure. you, you need some of the greatest minds. You need to allocate resources. We need to actually collect our taxes. We need to make sure it's spent in the right places. We, you know, we're fighting for financial capital and the deployment of that. But... When it comes to to mindsets of people and the way people think about things, I think every person has the right and the ability to change it. So yeah. to answer your question succinctly, I think it's a mindset. Mindset's the biggest issue we have in this country, and I think we need a paradigm shift. And I think, you know, largely when you ask what is the practical solution to that, it's it sits with all of us. Um, so let me maybe just stop there. Justin, you talk about paradigm shifts, and I, I think for some of the people may not know, there's a really cool video out on YouTube where Justin is talking about his chapter in the book, and he's talking about what he thinks um, the book's called This Generation Leads, and talking about what leadership looks like in South Africa, and more importantly, what South Africa needs in young leaders to become what it could be, its highest potential. Justin, do you want to talk a little bit about what you think young people could do to change the country? Yes. Yeah, so, 
Look, it's, I don't think it's an easy question to answer. I think if we all had the answers, we probably wouldn't need to be here. But, um, and I certainly don't think I have all the, the answers to start with. But what I think we, as a youth, what, what we need to be thinking about is um, I, I don't, what I do see is a, a mentality where we, and maybe I can take a step back here. Mm -hmm. I'm 31 years old now. I feel as youthful as I've ever felt before. I feel as young as I ever felt before. I still feel like a varsity student in my head. I still think I'm young, but I'm getting older. And when I think about South Africa and the issues we face, I always, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, is I've always thought somebody's going to come save this country. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the onus is not on me. The onus is on somebody else, some big, powerful man, some savior. And I mean, gosh, we have... Cyril Ramaphosa at the moment, if there was anybody better, maybe maybe they should raise their hands. But I mean, <laughs> is that changing everything? Absolutely not. So I I think what we what we need is we need a a a next generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think the next generation of leaders is is me. It's um yeah. some of the people on the show. It's um you know, people that are 10 years younger than me. I've seen people 10 years younger than me do things that are 100 times more impressive than what I currently do. Yeah. So I'm not claiming to be the superhero in the story. I think everybody's the superheroes in the story. And I think Muzi spoke about this in, in some of his interviews mm. um, about civilians and, and well, what it is we need to be doing. You know, to, to Pumi's question, I, that's how I found out about you is by seeing that video, which, which was posted on, online of you talking about precisely this. Dumo, you often say that, and, and I love this theme that seems to be sticking its head out. It's probably something you love too, Dumo, this idea that it is up to us. You know, there's no one to blame. And there's also no one who's going to come and save you. There's no, there's no uh, easy way out of this where you can avoid responsibility we all have to stand up and do this and this goes for young people more than anyone else because their future is the most at stake they've got the biggest investment in the future right yes agreed i was on mute sorry about that no um, problem um the <laughs> I, I totally agree with that because i just think that there's this growing mentality in south africa mm -hmm. as justin mentioned that um someone's going to come and save us and that's a dangerous thing because um, if people think like that, politicians are going to exploit that and create policies that can make people more reliant on the state, um, which will then allow the state to actually um, stay in power for as long as possible. So the whole idea is that you've got this really bad trade-off where you've got all people, you've got a lot of people that have potential, but they are reliant on the state, and the state needs these people to be reliant on them in order for them to keep on going. So it's important that like people actually take um, their future into their own hands. And I think we're seeing elements of that. Like, I mean, something as simple as buying a generator um, because ESCOM is useless, is taking your future into your own hand, right? <laughs> you don't have to go completely off the grid, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. And I think that's the case. And another thing is that, that people can do is that, you know, if, you know, look around your, your, your community, look at the roads. Are they in bad shape? You know, try get them fixed. I mean, we saw that in, um, was it Harris Smith, where that's yeah. where, where the, where the community fixed the sewage pipes themselves because the municipality was useless. So, People need to start doing that. We need to take, um, not take advantage rather, but we need to start taking our future into our own hands and rather focus on what we can fix. And when we do that, things are going to improve because the state, I mean, we're paying more taxes to them. 
Um, even and we are sorry, we're paying more taxes to them, and they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's it's theft upon theft, you know. So yeah. I, yeah. I I just think that's the best way of, to move forward, in my opinion. Well, Justin, before we say goodbye to you, I mean, do you have some message for for young people, and also perhaps you want to just address those people who are out there and have not yet taken on the responsibility of mentoring young people. You mentioned Mike Teke, who's an amazing human being, who you've been mentored by. Um, what are your messages to those two groups, to the young people in South Africa who are looking at things and maybe they're feeling a little bit hopeless at the moment because there are a lot of those people and you can't blame them? And then talking straight to the, the, the business people, those, those people you do a lot of, of work with now at, at RMB, what would you like those mentors to do? Sure, Gareth. So let me let me try and be succinct. I can often talk for quite long. So I think on on the mentee side, um, you know, I think what what these individuals need to be doing is putting themselves out there. So the first thing is, I like to think of it like the the pandemic. Um, when the pandem- pandemic happened, um, we basically shut down the entire country. Everyone sat at home, um, nowhere to go. You played by all these rules. It was life or death. For me, this is a big pandemic. Um, saving South Africa, South Africa going to to um, to the dogs is essentially the biggest pandemic we'll we'll ever face as a country, and I think it's becoming very serious. So we should we should take the same onus. If we can get every kid to wear masks, if we can get every kid to you know sanitize <laughs> ten times a day, in in the same manner, we need to we need to push that across to the youth um, as a message to say the onus is on you it's your responsibility Um, you need to do what's right for your country you need to look at your neighbor you need to um, um, you know take the first steps of action and in order to do that you need to look to people in the private sector right people in your community um, that can mentor you so it's the guy that's running the spaza shop on the corner it's Mm -hmm. um you know, a leader at church. So, so start small and you can build your way up. I think on the flip side, on the mentorship side, a guy like Mike Tech has done such an incredible job. What the way I think about this is you've got a single individual. He's got a group of 20 mentees. He's got a lot more than that, but there were these, the 20 of us were tasked with writing this book. We write a book, you know, it's, the mentorship to me is not about, you know, what is the mentor doing for me? And this is important for the mentees. Not what, what is the mentor doing for you? Rather, what does the mentor do to you? And I think the paradigm shift is what a mentor does to you. Hmm. And that's, that's kind of the onus on the mentors is to, is to shift the paradigm of people. So I wouldn't write a book, but Mike got me to write the book. <laughs> and I think there's power as well in being in a group of people because when we started with the group, believe it or not, it was bigger than that. And we ended up with 16 people. So some of the people left. Hmm. Um, but the rest of us felt, gosh, we don't want to be, we don't want to miss out on part of the action to, to do something in the country. So I think on the mentee side, it's like, um, I also subcategorize the mentees. There's the guys that are 50 50 because you've got some privileged people talented people that are leaving the country. A lot of my top talented friends have left SA. Very concerning. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's, That's a the, big worry. there's, there's the, the pact of people that are, in my view, 
The people I want to work with, the people that we should be focusing on are the people that can burn the ship and say, we are, we are here to stay. This is our problem to fix. So firstly, those are the mentees we care about. Mm. People that don't have an option. So the people that do have an option, they must decide. The people that don't have an option is the masses, which those are the guys we need to focus on. But from the, the mentorship side, I think there's people have a lot more power than, than they actually believe they do. So Mike's got us to write this book. We are 20 to 30 individuals. I've had this interview now. Why don't we interview the rest of the 15? You know, let's get some momentum going. And I think if you can create pockets like this, 20, 30 people, yeah. that's powerful. It doesn't, but then I think uh, the next... It doesn't take a majority of people to, to make the revolution happen. You know, it, it, it just requires a very uh, vocal, very intransigent, very uncompromising minority. That's all it ever takes. And if that minority are I, the right people who, who believe in this place and can make it work, we need to hear from them. Absolutely. People like you. But I, and I also think, I also think Gareth, the, the other important thing is unity. So the collective is only powerful to the extent there's unity and we all believe in the same vision. So I think right. when I spoke about that mindset and paradigm shift, we have to believe the same thing that SA is great. We have to believe there's hope and we have to believe we can do something about it. If that's not there, then I, I don't right. know where we're starting, but, but perhaps that's me for now. And that's my message. <laughs> Well, I think Love it. that's terrific. Yeah. And thank you for joining us this morning. I know you've got a real, real job to get to, and we're going to let you get on with the day. Um, but thank you very much. Justin Plikey's everybody. And don't forget that book is called This Generation Leads, the latest leadership ideas from South Africa. And we will put all the links on cliffcentral.com so you can follow that and, uh, and pay attention. Thanks, Justin. Nice to see you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nice, uh, nice bit of optimism and uh, looking forward to the future. Yeah, there, this is what I, this is what I'm excited by too. And the more people like that we can talk to, the the better. So we'll be hearing from a few more of them, um, hopefully over the next few weeks. If you have a suggestion, by the way, of anyone who you think is doing the heavy lifting in South Africa right now, and you think we we should get them on the show, let us know. Send us an email: contact at cliffcentral.com. Let's get back to Dumo and to Pumi and talk a little bit about some of the things going on this week. I don't know if either of you saw the news, Pumi. I know you heard it this morning on the show, but you're probably both well aware of the fact that the ANC-NEC has disbanded the Women's League. Now, mm-hmm. as Pumi mentioned earlier this morning. Disbanded. Yes, disbanded it. The executive is, is, is disbanded. This is Batabile Dlamini and her executive. God alone knows what they've done. I think in the last, they, they came in in 2015, and uh, probably the most important thing that you could visibly see them in, there are two things. Number one, supporting Jacob Zuma, which was very strange. Number two, at the Oscar Pistorius trial. Other than that, I don't really know where the ANC Women's League have made any huge strides, and if I'm being unfair, please correct me. But oh, is anyone sad? Anyone about the disbanding of this ANC Women's League executive? You know, Gareth, one of the things that we, we hardly ever talk about is why and how the Women's League came to be. We, we, you know, we, we know some of those structures and where they end, and you yes. know, we know that Nelson Mandela was among the first of the Youth League. Right. Uh, and, but if you think about it, the Women's League 
essentially started as a support group of the wives of people who were in the struggle, whether they were arrested or whether they were being harassed and all of that kind of stuff. And so the, the Women's League was always a support structure mm-hmm. to the mother party. It wasn't as on its own standing up. And there were some spectacular people that came through the Women's League who in their own right mm. had ideas and fought for what we now call the South Africa we have. Right. Mm -hmm. But they kind of lost their purpose over the the years and over the time. And unfortunately, they then became this group of individuals who had so much power within the party and so were part of the deployments that the party put out there. And I think, you know, Winnie Mandela was one of the people that we knew as a chairperson of the Women's League. But the damage of Batabile and what she has done with her power yes. in that space has has wreaked so much havoc. And really, the NEC to say we're going to disband the executive is simply because they are afraid to hold Batabile to account. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the step-aside rule. They have the step-aside rule that says if you are charged, if you are found guilty, if, and they are unable to, as we sit here with Matabila not having one by two counts yep. against her, where she has lost every appeal, where they're supposed to hold her to account and say, step down. They're afraid of her. So they're saying, okay, we're going to disband everybody. I think that's unfair. Yeah, Duma, what do you think of this? What do you, does it, is, it, is it even significant? Because really, I don't know how much of a voice, I, I hear what Pumi's saying about how their, their origins contribute to the story, but really, um, I think the point that she makes at the end there about how Batabile Lamini and what's happened over the last five to seven to ten years, you could probably say, has just been a series of embarrassments and really has let down anybody who did consider the Women's League to be a place of some, you know, some importance, some influence a place where, where, where a certain constituency was given not only credit and, and a voice, but were also hugely influential. I mean, there was a time when the ANC Women's League was one of the organs that had a big say in who was elected. Uh, I don't know if that's true anymore. What do you say? Yeah, I think this is another sign of um, the ANC crumbling mm. uh, very slowly. Um, the reason why I think that is the case is that there's a lot of things that are happening within the party. And again, as uh, Pumi said, they have a step aside rule and then Batabile Zamini, um, you know, gets found guilty on certain things and she doesn't step aside and then they, uh, you know, then they quash the women's league. I just think that now they're really trying to salvage whatever they can and right. it's just not looking good because I mean, I think even the youth league, uh, also is in like in a similar status, if I'm not mistaken. So this is not looking good for them in the long run at all. And also, I think um, with the Women's League, from just the impact perspective, I really haven't seen them do much. That's not to say that they haven't, but I haven't really seen them um, being impactful in any way whatsoever. And also, I just think um, it's one of those things, like the gravy train as well. I mean, ANC had a lot of financial problems, and they just probably, <laughs> it'll just make better financial sense to just disband the Women's League as well. Just like, hey, man. We don't have money, you know, let's just right. disband the stuff, you know, we can always bring it back later on and so forth. So the ANC is just in a lot of trouble right now. Um, they're just trying to, um, you know, salvage whatever they can. And I just think um, disbanding the Women's League is just part of that. All right. So then 
Let's talk about a woman who stood up and was counted this week. Um, she's not been praised all all round. She's certainly been vilified by certain elements. Uh, Busima Vuso, who's the ESCOM chair, had some things to say which didn't she's go... She's not. Is she not the ESCOM? She's not the chairperson. Who? No, she's thought... not the chairperson. So who is she? Board member. Board member. She's just a board member. All right, She's well, a regular board member. Well, she stood up and said, uh, the, the mess we find ourselves in is the ANC. She said, we are not going to take the fall. Basically, I'm summarizing and paraphrasing, but correct me where I'm wrong. We're not going to take the fall for all these years of mismanagement and of a lack of maintenance and of no due diligence or care of fiduciary duty by the people, the stakeholder, which is government. And... Um, and she was roundly criticized in the actual Scopa uh, hearing. But, but what, do you, what do you guys think that the public reaction has been? Because people have been saying, actually, all she's saying is the truth. Why must we go after her now as if she's told some terrible lie? Duma, is that your take? Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think the, 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 the support that she received is justified. Hmm. Um, she said the right thing. Right. Um, and but I think the reason why she said it is that I think she realized that the Kusile and Metupi projects are not going to be finished in 2023. So I think she was making it clear to Scopa, saying that hey, if anything happens, you can't blame us. And um, I think that she put herself in a very good position. And I think also now that she decided to leave and everything like that looks good for the cameras and it shows that she's a courageous person. But I think also it highlights a very deep problem within ESCOM. Remember, ESCOM's electricity production compared to 2011, where they peaked in the last 10 years, um, is their production last year is 14% less than 2011. But if you look at the independent power producers, their, their um, electricity production has doubled in the same period. So ESCOM is like really, f it, it, it's, it's, it's crumbling slowly, just like the ANC. And there's a lot of hope being put into Kusile and Medupi, but they're not going to be finished. And I'm just thinking now that really, I think now given Mavuso's comments, I think she's really looking at the future and thinking, you know what? Is this really going to be sustainable? Because I remember they already spent about 300 billion on those projects and they're not done. I mean, it, it could even go to a trillion, right? Yeah. And then if it goes over a trillion, then people are going to be saying, well, maybe we should have taken that um, nuclear deal from the Russians because it was going to cost a trillion anyway. So this is just really, really, um, a, it, I mean, Mavusa is just highlighting a really deep problem or, within ESCOM and electricity supply. Or just to, to, to be the devil's advocate, or is she just kicking the can down the road and saying, it's not our fault, not our fault, because maybe that's it. No, you know, you know I think that the, there's so many aspects to what we saw. First of all, she said the one thing that a lot of South Africans have been feeling and wanting to say, but it's also something that a lot of people don't want to hear. Right. Everybody is saying somebody has got to take responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. And why is and we've seen a lot of this. Andre Dereta mm -hmm. and here he is and what is he doing and why do yeah. we still have these problems? And he was sitting right? he was sitting right next to her. But I think that the, there's you know what I saw with that video that has been widely circulated is very similar to what happened to you, Gareth, when you had, um, what's the name from Musi's organization from One South Africa? Yes. Is we saw three minutes 
of a 45-minute engagement. What we didn't see is we didn't see what it is that she was responding to mm-hmm. as she said that. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what the, what was said to her and why she's responding. We don't, we, we also don't know, you know, somebody in the comments said, because I said she's just an ordinary board member, that she's just a board member. And that's very important, right? It's very important to understand in the power dynamics who she is and what role she plays. Uh, people who have sat in these accounting situations know that the CEO is the person who is responsible for accounting. Mm. The board is there to support the CEO. And the role that is, if the board is going to make any comment, if the board is going to say anything, depending on what it is that their role and function is, it is the duty of the chairperson of the board to, to support the the CEO in that case, or protect the CEO if they need it. And what we don't see and what a lot of people don't know is that the, the, the ESCOM board didn't show up. There was only Busi and one other director that were there at Scopa. At Scopa, they, yeah. you know, and Scopa can call anybody to come in account. And, and so we don't know all of the dynamics and what transpired. What we do know is we know that we agree with what Busi said. Yeah. Is that it is the way she said it, <laughs> the best way, you know, unfortunately she has now been painted and this is not the first time that she's had a blow up with Scopa. She has been painted as an angry black woman yeah. who's unreasonable and right. always shouting. And, well, I mean, you know. maybe that's also because, and I think the reason we're even talking about this, because who pays attention to Scopa hearings, um, even though we could, we could be watching all of these things. The reason we're talking about it though is because of the reaction of the chairperson. Um, what was his name? That's right. He's the IFP representative. So he 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 he, reprimanded her, and that's probably why it got the attention it 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 got. It was a conflict situation. You know, it looked like oh, there was controversy going on here. And he has since apologized. You know, it's it's also interesting to see that he came back. First, when he was first questioned about it, he kind of stuck to his guns. But he has since come back and apologized to say maybe the way that he responded in that moment is 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 not the way that he should have responded. Right. I, for one, think he could have said, you know, he could have he could have de-escalated that situation very much. Right? Mm-hmm. He could have just said, well, we we note we note what you're saying, and you know, that's it. But <laughs> part of the reason why he um, had to defend himself is because he provoked that response yeah. from from Busi. It's what he asked that allowed her to get into that space. Yeah, Snae says um, he apparently said the same thing too. He said that ENCA hadn't played the entire meeting because otherwise people would have seen that Miss Mavuso's response was misplaced. And then Tracy it says it was not misplaced. Tracy says maybe an angry black woman is exactly what this mess needs. <laughs> <laughs> but it was not misplaced because what no. he asked her, what yes. he what he said, his statement was that they had just been because they'd just been to a, um, I think. Earlier this year, they went to a site visit. Scopa went to a site visit. And what he said was somebody in this room is going to have to account and heads must roll. That's what Busi was responding to. And she's right. It's not their mess. (laughs) It's not their mess. They're trying to fix the mess. 
All right. Uh, what do we make of um, of all the other things going on in, in politics this week? You know, I always joke that it's never a dull week. There's always something happening. We had Freedom Day yesterday, and maybe this is worth a little bit of reflection. You know, we talked about the origins of of the Women's League. We talked about the origins of the, the ANC Youth League. Uh, the origins of this country were celebrated yesterday, and I don't know that too many people have really – spent any time at all i'm not going to speak for everyone but i can certainly speak for myself as somebody who does care about history and who lived through that and remembers the excitement around 1994 i wonder how many of us really though took the time and the trouble to think about what freedom day means and what it should mean and whether or not we've made the kind of progress that we should celebrate um we mentioned Eusebius McKaiser's article, and someone brought it up on the show earlier this morning. But I didn't read that. He seems to be very critical that we haven't made any progress at all, that it's all worth um, worth throwing into the fire. I don't know whether that's true. Uh, what are your feelings on Freedom Day? Does it mean a damn thing to you, Dumo, or to you, Pumi? And, and if it doesn't, why not? Well, um, I don't know. It's it at this point in time, it seems a bit symbolic. Um, I just think ever since um, the pandemic started, I think the idea of Freedom Day just like went down the tubes. In my opinion, I just felt um, the lockdowns and and so forth, and the new regulations that are going to go into the Health Act and everything like that are just um, violations of our freedom. Hmm. And I just think that definitely we've made progress from the apartheid era to now. But now we in this particular era of, I mean, the, the ANC has been in power for 27 years and they're not even doing the basics right. It, it really, you know, it really begs the question of whether if, you know, freedom does mean anything. Mm. But look, I won't lie. We have made progress. I would say that. I mean, I'm, I don't have to carry a dump pass wherever I'm work, wherever I'm going. So there has been progress in that area. But I think there are other elements of freedom that, uh, like, you know, bodily autonomy and so forth that are being violated or that, that, are, that might be violated um, by the ruling party. And I think that is something that uh, we should take into account. You know, if we go into our freedom, we should take it seriously. And it's a good thing that we have a day that we can celebrate like this, that we can actually reflect on whether if um, we actually have better freedom than we did um, many years before, but compared to 2019, not so much. You agree, Pums? <laughs> you know, I think we spent too much time talking about our freedoms and not enough time talking about our responsibility to that freedom. Mm-hmm. I think we spend a lot of time kind of saying, oh, you know, the freedom to do this and that. And we don't talk about the responsibilities that we have. All those freedoms come on the other side. The corollary of those freedoms is responsibility. And South Africans, for a large part, I mean, Justin um, alluded to it when he was speaking about how we all have this kind of sit back and somebody else is going to do it. There's going to be a savior. There's a... But actually, our freedom is our responsibility. The freedom that we have today, it is our responsibility to safeguard it for the next generation. It's our responsibility to make sure that the freedoms, the gains that were made do not get eroded. And we're at that place. We're at that place where a lot of freedoms are being eroded. Dumo, you talk about the fact that you don't have to walk around with the Dompas. Uh, I have news for you. If Tutula has anything to do with it, or say about it, you're going to have to be walking around with that bus so that you can show people that anybody, according to them, anybody that comes up to you and says, are you a South African? You should be able to show 
who you are and why you are here. So those freedoms are being eroded by little things and the little things are us not taking responsibility for that freedom, right. not showing up to vote. Guys, yeah. we have of the number of people that are available and should be on the voters roll, only about 20 to 30 percent of the people show up to vote. And let's not forget, democracy is not the will of the many. It's the will of the many who vote. So if you don't take your voting responsibility seriously, <laughs> we're won't? going to, you know, we're letting yeah. go of those freedoms slowly but surely. You know, it seems like we've, Participating. We, we've, we've kind of hit a, a little bit of a nerve this morning with this personal responsibility thing, because that seems to be a big topic of discussion. It seems to be something we're very focused on, whether we're aware of it or not. And it's come up a lot this morning. Uh, it came up with, with Justin earlier. It's come up with Dumo. It's come up, Pumi, in our conversation even before the burning platform. So I, I think we're, we're getting much, much closer to clarity on this matter. It's going to be down to us. We're going to have to figure out our way through this. And it means not your rights, but your responsibilities need to be the, um, the area of focus. You know, there's, uh, there's, that, there's that great line. Um, about uh, what happened just after the French Revolution. You know, they cut off the king's head. And then uh, I think it's Hilary Mantel tells the story in her famous book about the French Revolution. She says, they were all sitting around and they were talking about rights. But this was not a time for rights. This was a time for laws. And if they had talked about laws instead of rights, maybe they would have been able to avoid the terror and everything that came after that. Because we know revolutions are about bringing in new systems. And if those systems aren't based on laws, and we need to talk about laws in this country a little bit more, and not so much about rights, then, you know, it's easier to talk about rights. It's sexier to talk about rights. Um, everybody wants to talk about that because it's a numinous thing. But laws mean these are the actual things we're going to do to achieve the ends that we, we set out to in 1994. Whether we've got there or not, I don't know. So many of our laws, right, Dumo, are stupid and have been proven to be stupid. So many of our laws are holdovers from the old apartheid regime. Right. Uh, th that's true. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. And, um, and again, we have to review them. Mm -hmm. We have to change them and so, so that we can get uh, better freedoms. And I have to agree with Pumi on the part of that there are responsibilities as well. I mean, if you look at the new Health Act, Health Act regulations, we're given opportunity to comment. And um, I did comment. And people should comment on it. You know, you yeah. have to partake in the in the democratic process. So, yeah, definitely. I think um, personal responsibility is one thing. But as a libertarian, I, thought, I still think our freedom is the highest. So we need that freedom. <laughs> it has to be protected. Yeah. And, yeah, protected by us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what do you make of the, so, of the law's comment, Pumi? No, I, you, you know me. I'm a big fan of i'm a big fan of participation and i'm a big fan of the rule of law mm. right hence i make the comment about the doula because for me it is what keeps our society together yeah. right the the laws the the laws that we all agree on is what keeps our society together because we all especially in south africa where we all come from so many different backgrounds and homes and all have our own customs and traditions mm -hmm. the law of the land is the belief system that should keep south africa together you know the law of the land is the belief system that should keep south africa together but i do want to because i see the time is ticking away and i do want to ask if any of you saw 
that today we are waiting with bated breath for an exciting announcement from Action SA of a new person that's crossing the floor. Oh, really? Where, you might hmm. ask. <laughs> well, uh, in Twine. In Twine. So, uh, who do you think it could be? Any any ideas, or are we just going to have to wait and see? Because Action SA, I, I mean, Action SA, there are lots of um, indications that we may have another cope situation on our hands. There are obviously <laughs> there are obviously lots of people who are massive fans of Herman Mashaba and the work that he's done. Uh, but I I don't know how I feel about this yet. I think the proof is still in the pudding, and we're way off. I had a I, I was at a dinner a couple of weeks ago and had a very was sitting next to uh, Bongani Baloi, mm-hmm. the former midwile mayor for the DA. Yes. And now Action SA. Uh, I don't know. I think he's in the executive in Gauteng of Action SA. Right. And and he was sitting next to me. And it was quite an interesting and fascinating conversation that we had about their party and where they're going and what they're hoping to achieve. So it's always very fascinating for me when we see new people, new people joining the party and like Herman said in his tweet yesterday it's actually an old person crossing the floor and I wonder what that means for the party and what the party believes in and stands for all of these various individuals that they're bringing in from all these other places and we know that the DNA of an organization really in its foundation phase is the DNA of the people and what they believe in that starts the organization. And I'm wondering if they can all find a way to get along. We see what's happened with Makosi Kosa already. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was referring to when I mentioned COPE earlier. But, um, I I mean, are there any old people, in inverted commas, in politics (laughs) who, who we'd be, who, frankly, we'd even be excited to hear from? Sure. I'm not. Which is why it was so exciting to talk to Justin. You know, Justin mm. is essentially what he's advocating for, is he's advocating for new people right. to, to stand up and be counted. He's just saying, can we have new ideas, please? Yeah. I'm, I'm not excited about any old people. Am I being unfair, Duma? Yeah, um, you're not being unfair at all. Um, <laughs> I would like to see how Action SA performs. I mean, let's see who joins the organization. Um, but I think what really matters is what happens in 2024. That will be the defining moment. And then, and what happens afterwards? Mm. If they fail in 2024, then it, then we might see another cope situation. So I, I think I, I'm just too cautious right now. Let's wait till 2024 because I can see people leaving action, let's say, and more people coming in. So let's see what happens at that time. There is one comment here that uh, maybe is, is referring to why this could be a controversial one. Carl says, I really hope it's not Solly. Please say no. Solly <laughs> Simanga from the, from the DA. Yo, that would be a bit of a nail in their coffin if it is true. I wonder. What do you think that? I think he's an important Solly? I think Solly's an important person in the DA. Don't you? Okay. Hey, yo. I'm just I'm watching here from the sidelines. It's all fascinating for me. I think it, if, if it is another DA person, it will do two things. It will, A, I think it will pull a lot of voters away from the DA, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is not what the DA wants. No. Um, but I think it will also create in the minds of many people watching as a form, whether is 
is actually let's say a DA light. You know, the way a lot of people felt about the EFF when they started, is it an ANC light? Yeah. I think if it's another prominent DA person that comes into the party, it's going to create that kind of shift in people's minds. Is is Herman Mashaba just pulling all of the disgruntled DA people into his own party? Then it does unfortunately sound like it could go the way of a cope. Because it was a coalition of the disgruntled. Correct. Correct. All right. That's all we have time for this morning. Dumo, it's always nice to see you. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you to Justin, who was on a little bit earlier on. Pums, we'll see you next week for another another four-day week. This week is four days. We've got one more day tomorrow, and then it's back to the weekend. The last one. I know. It's but, the last one for a long time. But we do have Monday, so next week's a four-day week as well. And then uh, there's one coming in June when we do Youth Day. And maybe... Maybe we just scrap Women's Day and Youth Day as we scrap the ANC Youth League and the ANC Women's League. <laughs> we take back two public holidays. I know that'll be an unpopular move. Thanks very much, everybody. We will see you tomorrow. Have an excellent day, and we will uh, we'll catch up at 6 a.m. Cheers. Bye.